You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Brought to you by Canada Post. Thanks everyone for joining us for another week of Marketing Jam. I am very thankful to our sponsors who uh, set this introduction up. They were the eHarmony in this connection. Um, And if you haven't subscribed yet to Insight Magazine, uh, Mark, uh, in a previous edition of Insight, had some drawings in there, which were amazing. Um, uh, Insight Magazine, it's a free magazine. Link in the bio, make sure you subscribe to it. Canada Post wants to make sure that you are inspired, engaged, get some great data, uh, and really some amazing case studies. I I love it mostly for the case studies because the case studies are so inspirational. It's it's kind of creative mailing ideas all around the world. Uh, very sensory orientated, touch, feel, smell, even taste. Uh, in some of the cases, some are even like experiences. Uh, they talked about one, this one car dealership sent actually a little button to their top kind of purchasers uh, where you pushed a button and then a car came up and you could do a test drive of that newest vehicle from that car brand. So uh, again, inspirational ideas, inspirational case studies. Speaking of which, Mark, thank you for joining us here today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I just want to say doing publications for a large organization like Canada Post is not easy. And what I like, I'm not selling this, but what I appreciate about the team there and the, and the work that I've seen with Insight is it's clear-headed and straightforward. And those are two ideas, two adjectives that aren't as common as one would hope in B2B marketing, let alone in a publication put out by a massive organization. So shout outs to the crew that puts that together. And and they get weird every time. Like this latest copy, the cover literally turns into a speaker amplifier. You can put your iPhone in here or or Android device and it amplifies it as a speaker. This edition is full of bubble wrap. So you can probably hear that if you're just listening to this. Bubble wrap on the whole cover. Man, I've got bubble wrap right next to me. I've been sending off books that I've written Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, spent a lot of time in post offices because I used to make a magazine, I used to be on radio, and I used to get sent tens and tens and tens of, uh, I don't know, cassettes, vinyl, CDs, burnt CDs, CD-ROMs, all kinds of things. And then I would send my old magazine out, and every time I turned up to my little post office in Australia, it wasn't Canada Post, it was Australia Post, but they were always lovely to me. And, you know, I'd be there for four hours putting all my magazines in different boxes so that I could send them for a cheaper rate. So I've spent a lot of time in post offices, and they are... Just like airports, they, it just blows me away that you can go to a little building, send a thing, and it just turns up somewhere else. That's amazing. That's, yeah, it's, it's uh, magic. It's magic. If, if we were a chi- you know, children right now, we would just be like, how does that happen? Right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. This isn't okay. even an infomercial. I genuinely get excited about post offices. That's what I'm saying. And I well, know I Canada think- Post is way more than a post office, but, you know, also But I think office. we also like our mails like you know it can be bills and and stuff we don't want to see but it's like when you get something like a magazine that's actually interesting and it touches and it's feel and it surprises you each edition with a new cover and a new experience i, I actually like that i like that they they're pushing the envelope yeah it, it, yeah and let alone the way that print and ink smells and if mm. you've ever made a book or a magazine the first yeah. thing you do is you Obviously, you touch it, but you touch it, touch it. You feel it. And there's a difference between feeling it and touching it. And you smell it and you inhale it before you even, like, it's just, oh, it's like going to a fancy restaurant and having a fancy meal, but really different as well. Yeah. So, Mark, first thing I, I, I got to ask you about your website 
it is a very unique site. I've never been to a site like this. It's actually a Google slide deck, correct? It is. Yeah, I have multiple websites. You're probably talking about Mighty Jungle, which right. is, yeah, it's a Google slide deck. And yeah, where that comes from is, you know, most of the clients that I work with, they know me or they know someone who knows me. And if that's the case, the question is, well, what's the point of a website? The point of a website in that situation, especially if people coming in cold might uh, not often lead to the kind of work that you want to do, the point of that kind of website is it's it's a filter for, you know, if, if people don't get it or it's too strange, then working with me is going to be too strange as well. And all I need to do is give them a relatively coherent story about what I do and how I do it. And then we speak. So, you know, I've helped design uh, many websites over the years. I used to be a digital producer, worked in user experience, and been, done, been around massive builds for Audi, e-commerce websites, online learning uh, platforms, et cetera. But I was like, what's the point of a website for me? And so I tried to honor it. Uh, I'll probably create something a little bit different in the future, but yeah, got to mess with the conventions. That's the point of what we do. That's what creativity is. Oh, I love it. And, and tell us about your podcast. For, for those that are, you know, most of our listeners are listening on a podcast channel at this moment. So tell us about your show, when you started it, and, and what people can expect from your show. Yeah, it's called Sweathead. It is, we've, I think I've done nearly 300 episodes. It's about two and a half years old, close to 750,000 listens, which is kind of cool for a little underground thing. It's largely people in agencies and especially people in strategy or account planning roles talking about what it is to have that life. And some of it's really practical, but I, I try to get into the, the deeply human stories. You know, I published one today with a gentleman, Philip Slade, who was a Mac operator on a magazine, a famous music magazine called Smash It's back in the day. And then he became an art director at Saatchi and a, then a creative director and then a managing partner at Crispin, Crispin Port of Boguski in the UK. And we talked about how he spent a decade or so feeling a bit lost and lost in um, for some of that time. It's his story to tell, but for some of that time in drugs and alcohol and he had to reassemble himself and, and work through the fact that he was adopted. And that's what I like to talk about. I like to talk to people about the deep things that sometimes the industry pretends don't exist, but that actually make people good at what they do. Mm. Mm. And speaking of being good at what they do, when you talk about account manager, strategy director, how would you distinguish between those two roles and what are the key elements that make them amazing at their jobs? Yeah, so largely what I focus on is what is traditionally known as account planning. And that is different to being an account manager, but an account planner was essentially added to the mix in many advertising agencies, especially in the UK and Australia, where I'm from, and many other parts of the world. But it was essentially the, the third, uh, the third, um, oh my God, my words, the third thing on the stool. The th what do you call uh, yeah, it? Yeah. With, oh my you goodness. You know, yeah. but what's the word? Like the leg, the three legs. Third leg on the stool. Oh my gosh. So you would have like the creative team, art director, copywriter, traditionally, the account team or the account manager, and then the planner. And the planner's main role was really to 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 do research and try to understand people and to make sure that in in some way the creative work, the output of the agency was going to be more effective because it showed some kind of understanding of people and business, you know, not just something someone coming up with an idea just because. So that's what an account planner's traditional role 
was and still is. And right now, the word strategy or strategist is much more common, especially in the US. And there's just been this explosion, this Cambrian explosion of different types of strategists, different titles, different approaches, different thinking. But what I'm usually really talking about is account planning. Right. And just to not, I don't want to not talk about the other two legs, but like when you describe the other two legs, what are their functions comparatively? Yeah. So, I mean, you think about what the, the the way that those legs of the stool, the way that they serve, you know, who and what they serve. The the account team or the account manager is, is really about trying to understand the client's business, traditionally speaking, but also to serve in the the business interests of the agency. The creative team, the role there is pretty straightforward. It's to come up with incredible ideas that get attention and achieve some kind of usually behavioral change, getting people to buy stuff. Um, and helping build memories of the brand in people's heads so that when they have a problem to solve and they think about shopping for that category, that wow, remember that brand? I want to go buy it. And then the planner's primary role, I believe, is really to, ref to, to reflect what's happening out, out in the world with humans and society and, and in culture. Uh, but you do get different strands of planner. Some might be more data and analytics oriented. Some might be more research oriented. Some might have a, a more of a creative or more of an obvious creative flair. But that's how I see those three legs uh, divvying up their primary responsibilities. And so if a brand or an agency hires someone and says, I want you to do all three, is that even humanly possible? Have you ever seen that before? Yeah, sure. Someone, someone could do all three or potentially there's four there. And if you want to throw in things like creative technologists, maybe five or project management and production. I mean, that's you basically a one person agency there. Pe yeah, people can do that. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot. And uh, someone who can do all those things, the question would be, well, can they do any one thing incredibly well? Is it yeah. just averaging out, which yeah, I'm sure there are people who can handle all of that incredibly well, but it's a lot for one person. Yeah. So when you talk about you, you love to work with planners, strategists, what mm -hmm. are the things that you provide and, and what are the things that you're seeing kind of trending right now when it comes to the world of planners and strategists? Uh, look, I think the the big one is that it's a role that people are suspicious of and it's not always a concrete role. So this can mean that agencies don't always know how to charge for it. They don't always get paid for it. They'll use planners to pitch business and to win clients, but not might not put them on the business, which means that they're not earning money. The planners aren't earning money. So the agency's like, why do we have these people? So I, I think while it's a really incredible role, I was really fortunate to stumble my way into it. I think one of the main issues out there is that there's not enough understanding of the value that a planner can bring and that there's also some suspicion around the planner. But I would also situate that in the context of the following in that, you know, we, I did, a, I did a talk for Canada Post last week and we, you know, it wasn't an academic or scientific survey, but we ran a poll and the poll asked three questions. Do you believe, in, do you believe that creativity is critical to marketing, to the effectiveness of marketing? 76% of people out of 180 said yes. The two following questions, the positive response was much lower. Those two questions were, do you believe that your company does marketing in a creative way? 12 or 13% of people said yes. And then the following question was, do you know how to help your company do more creative marketing? And about 12 or 13% of people said yes. 
So you compare that to the 76 of to the 76 percent of people who believe that creativity is critical to marketing. That's a massive gap there. And what I what I really you know I, I sort of tell off the agency industry or the agency world a bit for is they've been really shamed out of talking about creativity. Management consultants have come in, data and analytics have become really big and they're great, awesome. But too many people have tried to mirror or mimic management consultants and tried to become more businessy and more serious and more data oriented. Yeah, important, but you're just becoming like what else is out there. And that's not what we would tell our clients to do. So why are we allowing ourselves to do this stuff? So they're, they're two issues that I think come, that come into play that are affecting the industry in a big way right now. So those that want to present a creative idea and they've got this idea, let's say, that, say they've, you know, they got lightning in a bottle, as they say, and they want to present it to the client. What are the ways to convince the client? Well, hopefully the client's been on some kind of journey with you and you've brought them into the, the process in a way where you're not just patronizing them and acting like you're the only creative human in the world and they have to buy this thing. But typically there'll, there'll be some reveal if there has to be a reveal versus a gradual bringing in of um, client into what the idea is. But there'll be some kind of research that we get to some kind of strategy, then there's a, a big reveal. Um, but the thing is, it, it's hard to answer that question without talking about the different types of clients that there are. There's a subset of client that, I, that I'm really familiar with, that I get on well, that I love, and they're marketers who see marketing as a creative pursuit largely that has to also take into account business. There are a bunch of marketers out there that really are mostly spending their days in bureaucracy and politics. They don't really care about the creative uh, work. And then you see surveys that come out every now and then that talk about how the boardroom doesn't really believe in marketing that much either. But if you look at someone, say, like uh, Fernando Machado, who's the global CEO of Burger King, who I was fortunate enough to interview, you know, he has a really clear idea about the role of creativity for Burger King. And it comes to life in ideas and behaviors like this. They'll often get an idea from an agency or perhaps even internally, but often from an agency. And if his CEO likes it, they take it off the table because mm. it means that it's too easy to understand. It's not bold enough. And I know a few CMOs and marketers like that, but oh gosh, I'd, I'd, honestly, I'd love, their, I'd love for there to be many more of them. Yeah. So those ideas, right? You see them often. You see them in Insight Magazine, right? The case studies that were genius. And you know someone came up with it. You see them at the awards shows. Um, you know, where do you think they come from? Like, where are the best ideas kind of birthed or nurtured or kind of like come into uh, creation? It's a, it's a big question. Uh, you know, if you're seeing a particular company consistently putting out amazing ideas, it comes down to their culture, that they're able to, first of all, attract really provocative thinkers, uh, keep them relatively safe while probably putting some pressure on them and allowing for the functions and dysfunctions of that creative mind. Mm. Uh, I do feel uh, creative minds are rebellious. You know, ideas are acts of defiance. They mm. tell the world that there's a different way to be. And so to be creative or to enable a creative culture means you have to be okay with that kind of rebelliousness because an idea, if you think about it, is a big fat no, or if I was to be a bit provocative, a big fat middle finger to what exists. It's like, yeah. okay, you think the world is like this, but you know what? No, 
there's another way for it to be. And gosh, that's really interesting. Mm. Most of the world doesn't want to think of ideas because to think of an idea, to embrace an idea, even if it's like something for a direct marketing piece that's provocative, it means you've got to change. The easiest thing is just to, to not push too much, right? So it's hard to really answer that question without talking about uh, the ability for a, a company or a group of people to attract provocative thinkers and mm. to tell them to be provocative, to keep them safe while put, putting pressure on them and defending the very idea that ideas are not going to feel normal yeah. and they're not going to fit bureaucracy. And if you can't start there, then everything else is theoretical. There's this amazing uh, artist called the Marcoonist, and, and he does uh, cartoons every week about marketing uh, kind of concepts and issues. And there's this one great one where, uh, you know, the CEO says, all right, come up with something crazy, and, and I want to do something that, you know, th that's amazing. Uh, and then once they come up with it and they present it, it's like, well, I'm waiting for someone else to do it. Let's see if it works with another company. And it's so this whole concept and idea of, well, I'm going to wait to see if someone else does it, and then let's just copy it or do a, a take on it. Yeah, that's, that's really common. I mean, that's not always the worst strategy for business. I mean, there are pretty big companies that are what you would call fast followers. Yeah. So, for example, I'm pretty sure that Samsung is renowned for waiting for innovations to happen. They do innovate and they do create their own things, but they, they will often just see what works for six to 12 months and then do that. So that's not an uncommon approach approach. It's just that what the, that cartoon points out is the deep irony in asking for an idea because an idea is novel. It's a novel, yeah. new, as in new, combination of things that haven't existed together before that way. But to then say, but we want someone else to do it before we do it means that it's not really you know, an idea if we go into our pure definition of what an idea is. So deeply ironic, yeah. Have you, uh, when you interviewed the the um, CMO from Burger King, did he talk about the campaign they did with McDonald's and the kind of the, the Ronald character and the the King embracing? Um, this was probably a year and a half ago. I don't oh, think we got okay. into that to that particular uh, yeah. particular campaign. But it's really interesting because people who uh, are in those kinds of roles who love creativity, they have pretty clear headed thoughts. They, they have a, a well-articulated philosophy about the role of creativity in their business. Yeah. And, you know, Fernando talks around the world at conferences about the work that his agencies are doing, how he works with them, what he expects from them. And he'll also then show business results. And, and because sometimes people are like, oh, you're just doing stunts. And he's like, yeah, but like, look at the sales and look at the value of the franchises and things like this as well. It's, it's not that they're opposites. You don't choose one or the other. The point is to to do both, uh, you know. And I think he's often, or he's he's not often, but he's he's won like marketer of the year awards and effectiveness marketing of the year awards and creative, you know, best campaign. Like they're winning all the things. Yeah. Uh, but he has a very well articulated point of view of what creativity is and how it matters to Burger King, which I don't believe enough marketers have because they they. They mimic more of the conservative business yeah. cultures in, in general, right? Yeah. Now, with, with your show, and, and you have this incredible kind of finger on the pulse of what it means to be a strategist, uh, you know, I, I like the term genius as well, which, again, Apple took and made the genius bar, but the origin of the word comes from, from the genie, right? They get ideas from another realm, right? And, and it's out of themselves, you know, out of themselves thinking. So these, these geniuses you've interviewed... 
What, what is maybe the common trend when it comes to the dark side that comes with it? As much as we know about the light side, what, what are those dark trends? Not, and again, not calling out specific people and airing their dirty laundry, but what are you, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, if you spend any time around people who do creative work for a living, there are dark sides. And, you know, one of the dark or shadow sides of being creative, seeking out new experiences, is addiction. Mm-hmm. It, another is the fact that coming up with ideas all the time might mean you're not very stable. Your personality is not very stable. Mm-hmm. So that can lead to all kinds, it can have all kinds of repercussions, depression, alcohol and drug use to get out, try to get out of the depression, to try to get through the burnout, people worrying that their next ideas aren't going to be good. So they top themselves up with some kind of substance, uh, lashing out, tantrums, deep insecurity, feeling that they need to compete with the people who sit near them to get the attention of the creative director or the strategy director or of the client so that they can get in front of those people and get their ideas sold, which could, if they sell multiple ideas and those ideas are effective, could double, triple their salary. It's a, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's a beautiful and a monster career strategy work, account planning work, and also, you know, creative work. But the dark sides are real. Uh, I speak to people who are burning out all, all around the world. I've spoken to people who've been hospitali- hospitalized because they're doing, you know, 80 plus hour weeks right now in really abusive environments. Um, through to, you know, job insecurity is pretty common. It's a very volatile industry often. Advertising and training are the first things to get cut on a company's budget. And, you know, it can be volatile in good and bad ways. And you hang in there hoping hoping that there's enough good volatility because there's no stability. Stability is an illusion in general, but especially in advertising. But a lot of people hang in there hoping there's enough good volatility to make the bad volatility worth it over the long run. But it's 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 tough out there. And, and people aren't always sure how to talk about it, who, who they can talk to about these topics, because there's always the risk that if you reveal a bit of vulnerability or fragility, that you don't get the next opportunity. So marketers that are listening or business owners that want to nurture creativity in their place, what are some books, newsletters, podcasts, resources that you could recommend? And, and, and yeah, feel free to recommend even stuff you've published, but what would you say are some good places they can go? Well, I, I really think it's worth exploring Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. I think if you are a marketer and you want to get your teams and companies you work with to be more creative, it helps to get in touch with your own sense of creativity. So I think it's really worth starting there. Uh, If you could get into Edward de Bono, who has written a lot and talked a lot about lateral thinking, which talks about what ideas are, how they happen, where they come from, different ways of achieving them. And probably connecting to books that deal with philosophy and psychology that focus on how people get meaning, I think is really useful and, and, and how the creative brain works. I, I, would start, I would start there, but never fear trying to get in touch with your own sense of creativity to help you understand other people who identify as being creative and who are trying to create lives built around creativity and self-expression. So The Artist Way by Julia Cameron, I think, is the easiest place to start. Cool. And any other books or podcasts that you'd recommend? Uh, well, look, you know what? I'll recommend genres of yeah. things. Yeah. Read fiction. Read yeah. fiction. 
you know, the, the thing about account planning strategy and creative work is everything is stimulus. Mm. And there can be a phase where people go to business school or they get their first serious agency job and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to read nonfiction from now on. I don't have time for fiction. And if I indulge in a, in a silly Netflix show or a movie, whatever, but they're separate worlds. They're not because good fiction, good movies, good TV shows, the way that they're written, first of all, you can learn about words. Yep. and dialogue and most of them the ones that you love reveal psychological insights in them so yeah. if you start paying attention to uh things that are fictitious yeah. written and crafted and filmed really well i i think that is somewhere to play as well uh you know that's 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 where i would push people to because people can get lists of business books and marketing books that's yeah. that's not the hard the hard thing it's to get in touch with like the craft uh, things that are, operate at more of a soul level yeah and, and why do I love Ted Lasso so much? You know, Apple special. It's the new show. And I'm like, this character they created, the, you know, the, the script, the, the words they gave him, his actions, you just fall in love with this character. It's amazing. Who's this? Uh, Ted Lasso. It's a new uh, Apple Plus special. Like, it's one okay. of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get a chance. Well, so what, what, what have you learned from it so far? I think the the way they structure the character, the way that they have him dressed to his love for his family, the way he is, the humility that he embraces and the way that he is able to put his guard down with everyone he interacts with, it makes you fall in love with this character and everything that he says and does and the little details and just the way that he loves on people tenaciously is is incredible. It's just, you don't see that, right? And you, you expect mm -hmm. something else from this soccer coach, football coach, but he just, he flips it on its head and it's such right. a... Yeah. The well well done show. Do you feel that you have to have your guard up very often? Uh, I do. Like I I don't personally. I I feel like I I but I encounter that a lot, and I'm always trying to like figure out how do you how do you lower guards with people, and then uh, with this character is just this epitome of like the guard lowering genius, right? Everyone he encounters, you know, stonewalls him or he hits these walls, but then just with his his loving personality just draws those walls down over time. So it's a pretty mm. beautiful show. No, I mean, I like talking about these things because it's really easy to think you've got to go to business school, have a really formal education to understand marketing and creativity and strategy. But you can analyze the things you surround yourself with. If you're into rap, what, yeah. what was a lyric that stood out to you? Why did it stand out to you? Did you change your life because of it? Well, if you did, there's probably an idea in there and maybe an insight. Uh, and then also just the thoughts that we have all the time. And we're, we're constantly, our brains are just chattering away and they're throwing out little insights and jokes. And, you know, you might tell it to be quiet and you, you know, don't pay attention to it. But as you start paying attention to it, you're like, oh, did I just write, you know, a, I don't know, a tagline for an ad? Or did I just come up with a new idea for how I want to live my life or a product that I could launch? And, you know, so the business books are great and they're worth paying attention to, but so is fiction and so is the chatter that goes on inside your head. They're great teachers. Awesome. So there's personality tests like the Berkman and Myers-Briggs and kind of like StrengthsFinder. I'm curious if you've ever done the Enneagram, the old de Desert Fathers test. I've, I've not done that one. I've done Myers-Briggs a few times and I know people put it down. I really identify with my diagnosis the, the one of the diagnoses i've done i've done a bunch of things but i've not done the enneagram you get a chance i just just as a you know off yeah. script i'd love to hear what your enneagram is and and they again not to kind of prescribe it but there's this enneagram seven in the scale which i feel like epitomizes the creative spirit and the creative soul 
And what I love about these Enneagrams, they show the, you know, the shadow side and the light side of every character and every person mm-hmm. and every personality. Uh, there's also fours, which again, the kind of the creative artist type, right? So a mix of the four and the seven seems to be the folks you interact with. But, but those yeah. are the folks, those artists, right, over the years that have brought us so much creativity and so much life. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. So you, you personally, like what are kind of some of the apps that you, you live in every day with that you like, you love, you're like, man, I have this on my phone and I'm just, it's, it's my favorite app. And whether you love it or not, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a work thing, but what, what, do you, what are your go-tos? Oh, gosh. No, you know, because I've, I've been on the internet around social media since the 1990s. So I've played with a lot of technology and then I've had phases where I've tried to be really, really minimal. You know, the, the main things I use on my phone, there's nothing super revealing there. I do spend a bit of time, obviously, email, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, podcast-related apps, Spotify. Uh, I really love what Spotify has become. I, I signed up for it as soon as it launched in the U.S. because I just moved here. And it was okay, but now it's become really, really good. Uh, and then, you know, I play games like Clash Royale. Uh, yes. A little bit addicted to Clash Royale, yeah. I have to admit, I play that every single day. What's what's your uh, current deck you're using right now? What's your what's your go-to? I have multiple. Well, you have five decks, right? Yes, yes. And then they've yes. just launched this new uh, what we call it, new way of playing where you you're in clan. I've been in the clan for a while, uh, but they've just changed how that all works. So one of the decks, and you know, I've been tweaking this week actually. Yeah. So I, I'm like, okay, what is the actual deck? Uh, but I think I've started to fall in love with the hogs again, which I was a bit riders. skeptical of the hog riders because they, oh, hang on. No, what are like the, what are the pigs? What are they all called? I don't even, I play this thing like for an hour or two a day. Yeah. You know, yeah so like just five... that you send just the pigs yeah. or you can send them yeah. with a rider. Yeah. So not with the rider. He's, yeah. I'm a bit yeah. off him right now, yeah. but, uh, I like to, you know, a bit of fire and, yeah. uh, sometimes I, I like to have a deck that allows you to have these characters that launch things so you know the witch launches little skeletons and uh the fire thing i've forgotten all the names even though i spend so much time on it but it's it's a bit of fun i like fortnite i was into PUBG for a while but i uh fortnite was really intimidating when i first started it yeah uh and now i get it i just don't do any building because i play on the ipad but uh yeah that's my that's my world yeah how about yourself no, I uh, I have a, a 14-year-old son, and so uh, he, he pulls me into these worlds quite often. Like even, okay, one of the most brilliant campaigns I thought that they ever did was, you know, how do you market to an age group that it's often, you know, whether it's legal, you know, or, or illegal to market to them, right, depending on what platform they're on. But they put Thanos' glove in Fortnite for a game, and, and your character, once it got it, it, had, it became super-powered, it was right when Avengers Endgame came out. And so they were able to market to these like, you know, six to 13 year olds that, you know, when we weren't on Facebook or Instagram promoting this movie for them. And it was genius. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I love watching what my kids, so I got a 14 and 12 year old, my 12 year old's the head of Roblox and the head of TikTok in the household. Nice. Uh, but I, I, I mess with her a little bit. So I'm like, I, I know some people at those companies and she's yeah. like as if you do you don't i'm like no no and because she wants to be the boss of these things oh, yeah. so roblox and i she's she teaches it to me uh, yeah. and it's really interesting to see how people respond to roblox <gasps> because there are people who are like i don't get it there's not a specific mission or task it's yeah. this virtual world if you're not familiar with it with different games uh, where you can build realities and build houses and get jobs but you know mm-hmm. build a restaurant I, I was building a restaurant and i nice. was quite quite good uh 
But uh, some people are like, I don't get it because it's not a specific task. I don't know what to do. My daughter loves it because she gets to express her extroversion. We have one extrovert in the family yeah. and she gets to build houses and build houses for other people and just hang out. And yeah. she builds dungeons and then tries to trap people in them. And it's like, that's really cool that you dig that. I like it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fascinating world. And, and I think we watched during a time when people were at home a lot their, uh, you know, their souls and their hearts and their hands and their feet and their money was directed towards a lot of games, right? Animal Crossing, it was sold out, right? It was so hard to get a copy of this game that, again, had no real mission except to go and virtually hang out with other people. Yeah, I couldn't get into it. I'll try some new games every now and then, but so many of them have these really slow startup phases where they try to introduce you to their currency and how to spend it. And honestly, if I'm like three, four minutes just trying to work out how to play and they're just teaching me how to spend money, I'm like, eh, next. And from memory, Animal Crossing was a bit like that for me. So if you're uh, old school, if you remember Facebook back in the day, um, so I was on Facebook when it was, I had a UVic account. It was university students only and then it opened it up, but they had a game called Farmville. If you remember, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was yeah okay. I, I didn't I didn't play Farmville, but back then things like Farmville and Mafia Wars, yeah, you know, Facebook allowed a lot of spamming of people. <laughs> so anytime anytime anyone did anything, you'd get yes. a notification, and everyone would rush into the thing to oh, see yeah. what was going on. So I, I'm my main experience with Farmville was through spam. I didn't spend time in it. But I have spent I, I, time in, in SimCity. I would have addictions, especially through the holiday season, the Christmas yes. season back in Australia. So one year it was SimCity. Another year it was eBay, which is not a game, but it can feel like a game. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, you know, in downtimes, I get anxious and find myself just doing one, one thing for like two months in between the actual real work that I have to do. Yeah. And, and so much like, like what we're saying with video game trends, and I love that we're going that route, is that they've become very complicated and lots going on. But then there's this you know, throwback to like Minecraft where it's a very simplified, simplified version. Do you think that they'll ever bring back GeoCities or the original Facebook for people that want just, a, you know, a simplified, less version of an online experience? Mm, I don't know. I mean, so, I've, you know, as you know, GeoCities is quite different. I, I had I had multiple websites hosted on GeoCities and you had Angel Fire and, mm-hmm. you know, every month, every week there was like a new company launching free hosting and you got like probably 30 kilobytes of space. Now you, you probably got a bit more, but not much more. Uh, yeah, Facebook being simple. I mean, they're trying to simplify the UX, but they would do that more quickly if it wasn't successful for them to be more confusing. Mm. Right. And obviously there's a shift with, and you, we'll talk about Facebook specifically into prioritizing groups and communities yeah. over possibly friends and family. So they made that shift, at least what I was seeing probably a year and a half ago, yeah. but the user experience, cause I run a group with 14, nearly 15,000 people in it. The user experience is quite complicated and yeah. unfulfilling in some ways compared to a more traditional message board where you're able to thread posts together, categorize them, have separate subsections, et cetera. You know, Facebook is still largely about the feed, which means that people can feel overwhelmed by all the stuff happening in groups or they can't find content that they really want to find. So look, I think they're going to intimate simplicity in in the interface, but I don't don't know if a social network's really going to pop up that's going to be really simple because at some point that just becomes WhatsApp or your address board, you know? And I'm finding even like uh, Reddit is becoming quite a useful resource these days. It's organized, it's information, it's, you know, as much as it can be wild and anonymous and kind of this wild west, it, but it's organized so much data and stories and information and kind of 
current information need right away. And people seem so generous there with their insights. Yeah. yeah, Reddit, Quora, and Pinterest. We don't always, we sort of know these brands. We don't hear about them as much as they probably deserve. Reddit yeah. is more pub public. We don't hear that much about Pinterest, the way they've changed and improved their interface. The, the visual design is just, be it's beautiful. And it's so useful once you interact with it a little bit. You know, I've, I've play a bit with Pinterest to look up uh, typography and design and there's so much great stuff on there. Uh, and then Quora is, you know, a, a place where people ask questions and then people answer those questions. And I've, I've watched that boom over the years and they've, they have these little phases. So there was this phase that was just people like a small community gathering, trying to help each other. And then they do their growth hacking and all of a sudden the answers aren't that useful and there's all these people who can sort of speak and write English but not that very well and then it gets curated. You sort of have these little phases uh, where there's like a, a mess phase. Uh, but yeah, Cora, Reddit, Reddit's great. Uh, I think it's a really valid place to, to spend time researching if you're a marketer or a strategist because people will talk in sometimes a very blunt way where they, sure, they might be being extreme to get attention or being dramatic, but also a very useful way. Like, uh, I don't know if there are any subreddits you love. I'm uh, kind of a fan of the maps and history subreddits. Is really, or ask, ask, ask an historian or ask a historian. Yeah. They're quite interesting. Have yeah. you got any favorite subreddits? Oh, man, I, uh, the ad porn one I love just because it's, again, I mostly love it because it's global, right? It's not just... Yeah. Uh, advertisers from Canada, um, and it's not just waiting for Ad Age or you know Strategy Magazine to put something out. It's it's kind of happening and it's being updated consistently. Um, there's a couple like uh, Parks and Rec ones and Office ones that I follow just because I love those shows. And uh, and then I actually go in there for like game advice. Like if I'm playing a game with my son and I go, it, it seems to be their uh, ranking and Google seems to rank the highest for like I got really into this game called Sneaky Sasquatch, which if you have an iPhone. It was one of the Apple Arcade subscription games, and it was beautiful, yeah. beautifully made. It was kind of like the um, Goose Game. If you play the Goose Game, um, go again, if you have a, a addictive tendencies towards games, these are these are nice because you get addicted to it. But it's like nice music, and you're and you're doing stuff right away. But it's like relaxing actions, like the Goose. You're yeah. doing sneaky things. You're you're, okay. you're a Goose, and you're you're hiding keys, and you're moving <laughs> vegetables. So. You just you just sounded like somebody who smokes cigarettes explaining how cigarettes calm them, even though nicotine <laughs> makes you more anxious. But I, I buy your explanation, totally buy it. Well, try the Goose Game. You you I, okay. I can't remember. It's, it's, it's some it's, just look up Goose Game and you'll see it. It's it's beautiful, beautifully made. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. So, Mark, anything else you want to close people with? How do they find you after this, and and where can they get some other resources? And and we'll put those links in the description as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter at Mark Pollard and I just published a book. It's called Strategy Is Your Words. We had a, or, I don't know why I'm saying we, I, I feel like it's a we, it's a community effort. I, we had a successful Kickstarter last year. I tried to raise $15,000, ended up raising close to 40. Wow. Uh, it's a 400 page book. It, it's sort of this, I know this is weird for some people. There's two things I'm going to say that will be weird for some people, but I, I wanted to write about what it's like to do strategy and to be a strategist, yep. but in a way that felt to me like my art. Yeah. Sorry if that's weird and pretentious, oh. but that's how I approached it. Mm. Um, and then uh, well, I can't remember what the second weird bit was going to be. I, I think that first thing is, is, is a bit unusual for around. I didn't want it to be like a, a business book as a business yeah. card. A lot of people yeah. are like, yeah, I'm going to write a business book and I'll give it out and it's going to be like a business card because, you know, business books are like the new business cards. No, they're not. 
yeah. only if you write one that's like a business card. So don't write yeah. one that's like a business card. So, you know, it's the, oh, the weird part. Of, the weird thing I was going to end with, um, other than everything else that I've said that's strange, is that, you know, I do think about death a little bit. And I, I was like, I, I want to sit down and I want to write this book because I talk to so many beautiful people with crazy lovely brains that are ferocious at times and really creative and then potentially self-destructive. I'm like, okay, if I didn't have many years left to live, what's the book that I would want to write for them? Mm -hmm. And that's, it's my art. And I wrote it with the mind of like uh, a deathbed test. Right. And that's not to be macabre. There's a lot of, lot of life in the book, but I, I find that those two concepts, they lead to me being creative and, and fighting to be alive. And for me, that is through my own expression. So long answer to your question, at Mark Pollard on Instagram and Twitter. And books available on Amazon? Uh, it's not available on Amazon yet. It's available through another website I have called Sweathead. So you can get that at www.sweathead.com. Uh, and then I'll probably have some ebook versions of it in Spanish and Portuguese and English in the coming months. And when can we expect the Audible version as well for those that just want to hear you speak to them, your book? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a voice that is deep and mumbly and does not come with the usage of facial muscles but it is okay into a microphone in a room people talk over me a lot uh you know because I'm, I'm a little bit quiet and introverted and so the point is that i'm i've been thinking about doing an audible version of the book for a, a good year now and i do a lot of audio so i'd, I'd like to uh, probably in 2021 i'm taking my time with this you know i was, I, I was like around the rap and hip-hop world the hip-hop world for a while and people would sometimes especially upcoming artists they would drop an album and then be like okay is it successful yet and it's like you might have to grind at that album for one to three years so i've got the book out which was a lot of effort a lot of hours and now i'm like step by step we're gonna keep building this thing and keep supporting it i'm not just dropping it like a business card on someone's table and running so audible hopefully 2021 that's awesome that's very cool and and i don't know if you've heard uh, malcolm gladwell did uh, talking to strangers but was an enhanced audio book. And so it, it was him reading the book, but then he would have clips of, uh, you know, news stories and, and interviews. And it was such a beautiful, it was one of the first audibles I've listened to where it was like, it was like a, a book that was just, it was a crafted quilt of audio experiences. I thought it was really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, it's so much effort. Audio is so much effort. And to turn essentially an 80,000 word book into something that's worth listening to. It's, it's probably a couple of months worth of recording and, and, uh, and, and, and editing, let alone adding things in like uh, that example that you just gave. So it's, um, it's, but at the same time, audios, and you probably find this too, it's deeply intimate. I mean, you're in people's ears yeah. and that is quite, quite beautiful. And it's an honor and it's a privilege to kind of be in areas like that, uh, especially when they might be the people who talk over you in a meeting because you've got a deep, sarcastic voice that comes from Australia with a weird accent. I'm joking. But yeah, no, audio is beautiful. I love the intimacy of it. It's, um, it's great. So you mentioned hip-hop fan. Um, do you uh, or have you followed the, our, our famous Canadian hip-hop interviewer, Nardwar? No, but I used to play a lot of Canadian rap and, and know some of your rappers back in the day. Okay. If you get the chance, Google search Nardwar. He, okay. is, uh, he is the, kind of one of the world's most famous hip-hop uh, interviewers, and, and he hails from our, uh, our hometown here, uh, and, and you will see why. So he's, uh, his, his model is crazy deep research, and so hip-hop artists all over the world 
try to get him to interview him because he will do this research about like their hometown and their high school, their elementary school. He'll find out stuff about them like anywhere from Snoop Dogg to Nas to you name it. He's interviewed and, and he but he pulls up all this incredible history about them as artists. I love that. I love it. You know, I have a mixed yeah. relationship with hip hop because you know, I did five years of radio from 20 to 25. I interviewed people like Guru from Gangstar, Flavor Flav when I was 19. I spent three hours with him uh, from Canada. I spent sort of helped tour DJ A-Track. And I know his brother, David, who helped run this group, Obscure Disorder. David ended up writing that track or being involved with that track, Barbra Streisand, which was like a global viral hit. You know, Swollen Members on the West yeah. Coast, Buck 65, Little yeah. Halifax Crew, we got crew in Toronto. Beat Factory, I think, was one of the names. Um, you well, know, like members, I, they've, I, they've got a uh, skateboard. You could, you could skateboard at their like indoor skateboard yeah, uh, facility now in Vancouver. Yeah, huge man. Like I was in Vancouver, I was I was in a pub having a beverage by myself, and I, well, yeah. I was having a chat with like a regular looking dude about Swallow Members because he's super well known in a way yeah. that it was awesome. Uh, it's yeah. like going to Minneapolis, which I know is not in Canada, and everyone knows the Rhyme Sayers crew, and they're like, yeah, we know them, and you're like, you know them, you don't look like you would know them, but they're citywide stars. Yeah. It's incredible, but I have a mixed relationship with it because um, I stopped doing, I didn't get paid for my radio show. I did weekly columns. I actually, my Flavor Flavor interview got published by Saroosh Alvey and Vice like 20 plus years ago. And I still remember getting the check. It's like $50 Canadian. I was like, oh my God, this is great. But um, I feel sad because I didn't keep going with my magazine and my radio show. And so I'm, I, I still carry a bit of... Um, just like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, maybe I could have done it better if I knew what I know now. And so I have, I have this weird relationship with it. Well, if you get a chance, Nardwar, I think for both of okay. us. That's, who the, are, that's who, the point, not, not my emotions. host podcast, I think, yeah. he, A, it's fun because you'll like the content, but it's also convicting in that the way he does these interviews is, is mind-blowing. And, and when you see him, you think it's a joke. Like he literally yeah. wears golf, uh, like a golf outfit. And, yeah. and, he, and he looks comical. But, but he, again, a genius creative force uh, out of Vancouver here. Yeah, I'll, I'll check him out. One, one thing I think is really interesting, having interviewed a lot of rappers, is most of them get approached with really cliche questions, like, yes. who are your influences? Yeah. Uh, you know, tell us about the third track on the B-side of your vinyl. Um, and what I would try to do, even though I was much younger, and I'm, I think I'm a little bit better at it now, I would, I would get, try to go into like really personal stuff. So like one of, the, one of the last interviews I remember doing was with a guy called LP, who's in a group back then he well before then he was in a group called company flow which i loved and and then run the jewels now and you know we talked about him growing up in a divorced family and he said at the end this is the most psychological interview i've ever done and there was a there was a prickliness with that comment but at the same time he didn't not answer any questions and this is 15 ish years ago now when being vulnerable and being open and talking about being a man and coming from a fragile vulnerable situation and all that, like people didn't do it they were mm -hmm. used to being in their persona yeah. Um, and so Nadwa sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I'll have to check him out. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mark, for being here. It's a real no nice. Yeah. So make sure you check out Mark's resources. We're going to have all the links down there, uh, including a link to Sweathead, uh, where you can order uh, his book, which sounds fascinating. I'm going to order one today. I'm really thrilled to, to check that out and some of those other books that were recommended as well. So thank you for joining us this week on Marketing Jam, and we'll see you next week on The Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.